Hey there, it's Laverne McKinnon. I'm a career coach and a certified grief recovery specialist, and I am so delighted to welcome you to the Moonshot Mentor Blogcast. I share stories, insights, and tools to help you achieve your dreams. And frequently, achieving your dreams means failures, mistakes, and face plants. It's so critical to mourn these losses, which is why I'm both a coach and a grief doula. I like to refer to this podcast as a blogcast because I'm reading my blog for those who prefer listening over reading. Lately, I have been wondering if there truly is an imposter syndrome pandemic or if there's something else going on. Pretty much everyone I know has had bouts with imposter syndrome, and it's a term that's tossed around quite liberally. I've spent the last few months taking a deep dive into the topic for my own benefit and also for my clients, and I've had some pretty cool discoveries that simply won't fit into a single blog cast. So I've put together a five-part series entitled How to Loosen Imposter Syndrome's chokehold, in part to honor the month of July, a time of the year that I associate with fireworks, independence, hot dogs, and freedom. So here's to freedom from imposterism. Go ahead and take a listen to part one, how perfectionism leads to imposter syndrome. When I was a kid growing up in my little hometown of Darien, Illinois, I didn't aspire to be a perfectionist who has bouts of imposter syndrome. And I have often wondered what happened in that period between being a kid with stars in her eyes to rising the corporate ladder to feeling like I'm a fraud. Now, I know that I'm not alone in those feelings. Studies have shown that about 30% of overachievers like me suffer from imposter syndrome, and almost three quarters of all adults have experienced it at least once in their lives. So where does imposter syndrome come from anyway? For me, it's closely related to my perfectionism. The harder I try to be my personal best all the time, the more incompetent I feel. I've also been told how my inability to internalize my success leads to high levels of self-doubt in my intelligence, my talents, and my accomplishments. Super quick sidebar. I've always been achievement-oriented, which means I seek external validation. That external validation soothes my imposter syndrome temporarily. It's like a Snickers bar. Delish in the moment, but really has no long-lasting nutritional value. Accomplishment, however, is the internal experience of having done something well. For those who are perfectionists and suffer from imposter syndrome, the sense of accomplishment, that internal feeling, is elusive, even when there's verifiable and objective evidence of success. The term imposter syndrome was first coined by Suzanne Imes and Pauline Rose Clance in 1978. At first, they thought the syndrome was only experienced by successful women and other marginalized groups. More recent research shows that it's felt by people of all ages, race, and gender. What triggers imposterism is typically a task or an assignment. This task is correlated to achievement, external validation, and researchers have identified two trigger responses, over-preparation or procrastination. When people over-prepare, it's because they're anxious and hold a mistaken belief that they must work harder than anyone else to complete the task. What's crazy is that they typically know that this is a false belief, but because they believe it, they believe that they are an imposter. With procrastination, the imposterism comes from knowing that in doing something last minute, one will be exposed as a fraud. I'm going to add a third trigger response based on my own study and work with clients over the last 10 years, procrastination. That's the experience of diving into a task as quickly as possible without thought or preparation in order to finish it as quickly as possible. It's an anxiety response to try and avoid anxiety. 
To be clear, imposter syndrome acolytes can feel a sense of achievement, but it's short-lived. The dread always creeps in. I'm a fraud. I'll be found out. Everyone will know I'm not really that good. This drives the imposter to jump back into the cycle to prove that they're not a fraud, even though they know they are. I have a friend who has won multiple awards, been promoted numerous times, and earns a healthy salary. She calls me on a regular basis, filled with agonizing feelings of being a fake. So she works harder to try and stay ahead of the I'm going to be found out beast, nipping at her heels by taking on more than humanly possible. As a result, she steps on many of her core values, including spending time with family and friends. The fear of failure for imposters is acute, and it's coupled with the fear of public humiliation. I have clients who experience what I'm calling pre-shame in anticipation that they'll not measure up to others in similar roles or peers who are achieving more success or validation. On one hand, they believe their work is good, and they're also terrified of having their work found out and be judged negatively in public. Talk about throwing salt in a wound. In the entertainment industry, there's a culture of competitiveness and comparison that fuels imposter syndrome. The fear that I'm not really good enough felt by artists and executives comes from actually being judged and dissected by people who don't understand the art or processes of what they do. In situations when the work is being examined by people in the know, the culture of hyper-competitiveness may encourage that person who is doing the judging to be overly critical or actually sabotage so that they can increase their opportunities or standing. There's a lot more on this, which I'll be sharing in a future blog post in this series. Setting aside the reality of this level of critique, it's difficult for those with imposter syndrome to accept and recognize their intelligence, depth of experience, and talents. When they succeed, they cough it up to luck. And sometimes luck does play an important role, but it's not the only element of success. It also takes collaboration and community. No one truly succeeds alone. Finally, there are those with imposter syndrome who are afraid of success because it may lead to higher expectations of achievement. This is also fueled by entertainment industry culture because there's a prevalent mistaken belief that you're only as good as your last success. I can't get over the irony of an industry that is built on creativity, penalizing people for failure. Creativity is a direct result of taking risks and thus failing. Okay, stopping here with this snapshot of what imposter syndrome is, how it manifests, and how it links to being a perfectionist. Does this feel like a lot to you? It felt like a lot to me in putting it together. I think I need to do some self-soothing with the Portillo's burger and fries. So did you know that there are actually five types of imposter syndrome, including perfectionism? Next week, we'll take a closer look at two others, the superhuman and the soloist, two forms that I see all the time in the entertainment industry. We'll cover the final two after that and then move into how to get out of imposterism and what to do when you're triggered. FYI, Dr. Valerie Young is an expert in this field, and I've been inspired and schooled by her work. So to wrap us up, have you experienced imposter syndrome? Does your imposterism show up as being a perfectionist? I'd so love to hear from you. Please drop me a comment. I get lots of DMs, which I love, and I also want to encourage you to comment publicly so other people can share in your experience, and we can also combat any feelings of shame of, I'm the only one. You can also visit me at moonshotmentor.com or follow me on social media at moonshotmentor on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
If you enjoy what you hear, I would so appreciate if you could subscribe to my blogcast as it would help me achieve my moonshot of 5,000 subscribers. Thank you so, so much for tuning in.